Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 11 of Mixtaping Identity. I'm your host, Shane. My guest this week is the amazing Cameron James. Yes, thank you so much for joining me for the 11th case of Mixtaping Identity with Cameron James. So excited about this episode. You know, Cam is actually one of the big reasons that I started down this whole Australian comedy rabbit hole. Finding Drago was was probably one of the first Australian podcasts to listen to, and it's still one of those shows that I will recommend to anyone who will listen to me talk about podcasts. So yeah, I was really really excited to get Cam on the show. I know he's really big into his music, um, and yeah, he he's really put an awful lot of thought into this playlist, an awful lot of thought into his songs and. He's done the research. He's really done his research. There's some really great chat in here, and I'm very, very excited about this episode. If you're new to the show, then uh, please go and follow us on the socials at Mixtape Identity on Instagram. Uh, we have all the new releases on there. That's where we'll we'll drop note of the of the playlists and the podcasts, so you can listen to the playlist in advance of the episode uh, and just get a feel for for what we're going to be talking about. I'll be back at the end of the episode, but for now, we'll get into episode 11 of Mixtaping Identity with Cameron James. So, Cameron, how often do you actually listen to music at the moment? Oh, every day, I think. Um, I went through phases where I was listening to more podcasts than music, but, right. but definitely every day. And since lockdown and this scamdemic era that we are currently <laughs> living in, uh, I don't know if you guys yeah. have the phrase scamdemic in the UK, but uh, we, yeah. we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we uh, probably every day. Yeah, I think I've gotten really heavily into music again in the last year or so. Got a lot of playlists going, um, shared playlists with my wife, private playlists albums i've been getting back into vinyl i don't know if you can see behind me but i've become one of those assholes that um has now started collecting vinyl so that's good Uh, that's what's blurred in the background all right (laughs) you've got your own (laughs) shame collection i I, I have one beside me yeah yeah great 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 it's you know i i mean i know it's wanky and it's very easy to make fun of and i've made fun of it but it's a bit of a thrill when you find a fucking cool old rare vinyl that you've never seen before. I've got this um, right. Diana Ross and the Supremes and the Temptations vinyl here, which I've never seen anywhere, and it's just it's just both bands singing their hits together. It's fucking awesome. That is awesome. That's great. I like this. There's something in, like again gonna sound wanky. But I think in the modern world, it is quite nice to actually just like put on a record where it's just going to play and then that's the thing that you're doing. Yes. Because for me, quite often music is just something that happens in the background. Mm -hmm. So having something that you're actually like focusing on and listening to, it's it's quite nice to have, I think. I agree. It's an interesting uh, art form in that way because... You can either be incredibly passive or incredibly active with your engagement in it. And usually you fall Mm -hmm. somewhere between both. Like, you know, we'll put on an album and 
just be laying around reading or cooking or talking. And for the most part, that's pretty passive engagement. But then every now and then a song comes on that stirs something in you. And all of a sudden you put the book down and you're like singing along to this song or you're just going like, oh, fuck, this guitar solo coming up. This is going to be, you're going to fucking love this guitar solo. Or listen to that drum sound. Like it's a, you can go in and out of passive and active in a way that you can't with most other art forms. You know, you can't be like passively reading a book. No, it's true. (laughs) It's true. Just catching every third sentence like, oh, that was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. So what was the um what was the first music that you actually bought or, or owned? Hmm. I can't remember the first one I bought, but I remember when I got my first CD player when I was an early teen or you know maybe 12 or something. Um it came my parents bought me it for my birthday and they also bought some CDs for me as well. And they were pop pop stuff so there was like a compilation cd of pop songs from that time that was i think it was called video hits best of 99 or something and um and then there was a spice girls cd (laughs) so that was that was pretty early on spice girls and i assume i don't think it was backstreet boy maybe it was backstreet boys because nsync were a little while later i think they came out a year later or so but um but amongst all of that there was also my mum was a a teacher's aide at a high school and she got the ep like the you know like you know an ep uh of one of the local bands that was just high school students at her school and so oh, wow. that was amongst the CDs as well. There was like an EP with four songs from a local high school band. And I was right, okay. obsessed with that EP. I listened oh, nice. to it over and over again. They were a local band called Supersonic and named after the Oasis song, I assume. And okay. I just fucking loved them. Like to me, that was rock and roll. I was like, these guys are the Supersonic, are the fucking best band in the world. <laughs> And then I like years later I got to meet them because they all just lived in my town and were only you know a few years older than me, and I would, yeah. I remember meeting the lead singer from Supersonic, and um, being starstruck by him, and he was just a normal guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, man, I fucking love in your room. Like I knew the songs and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of pop, a little bit of rock in there. Excellent. Mm. Does Supersonic still hold up, in your opinion? Or They have some really great songs. They ended up doing an album, and they were kind of poised to be the next big thing for a little while coming out of my town. It didn't quite mm-hmm. eventuate, but I think they had some really good songs. Looking back, they were very much an Oasis-like rip-off band, which I guess a lot of, okay. a lot of people were in the 90s and early right. 2000s. You'd sort of hear a lot of that Gallagher-esque um, melody and sort of yeah, sure. champagne supernova sort of sounding guitars. But yeah, I mm-hmm. still I still think they hold up. They have one or two songs that are in my head pretty regularly. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. Um, so what's the, what's the best live show or best live performance you've seen? Shit. So, look, there's so many. Um... On the spot. On the spot, I'm going to say Bruce Springsteen. I've seen okay. Springsteen and the E Street Band 
live three times, I think, and um, mm-hmm. they're all always great. But the, probably the first time I saw them was a bit of a surprise. I was over in Perth, which is the other side of the country, and uh, I was doing stand-up over there or something, and my wife came to visit for a couple of days, and it just happened to line up with when Springsteen was doing an arena show in Perth. Right. And so I, I bought tickets off a of scalper because it was sold out. And okay. um, we just, spur of the moment, went into this arena. And it was it just so happened to be great seats. We were kind of like pretty close to the front, you know, like 10 rows from the front sort of thing in this big arena. And Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave was playing guitar with the E Street Band as well. So it was wow. the entire E Street Band with... You know, um, Max Weinberg, uh, yeah, Max Weinberg, and uh, Silvio Dante from The Sopranos, and then oh, yeah. <laughs> Tom Morello was joining them. I always forget that. And it was just like the fucking very special evening because uh, you know they played everything you want them to play. It was very engaging. Bruce was like in the crowd the whole fucking time, like jumping in amongst mm-hmm. the crowd, running around. And then I was also watching Tom Morello shred on guitar and I hadn't really thought about Tom Morello since I was 15 when I was a big Rage Against the Machine fan. Um, right. So it was incredibly... It was like a merging of two worlds. It was very, very cool. And I've, I, I'll never forget it. I also, I also was like... I started the show being like, God, I hope I get to like touch bruce at some point during this show and i touched him so much over the course of three hours (laughs) because he was constantly in the crowd that by the end of it i was like fuck is he getting in the crowd again come on man like give us some space over here we're just trying to enjoy the show oh that's brilliant bruce springsteen's like my dad's favorite artist like of all time and I think basically I didn't really get into Bruce Springsteen I think because he was trying a little too hard to get to us make into you Bruce into Springsteen. Springsteen I hear that I, yeah. I've been the same way with a lot of music my dad likes um, yeah does your dad like uh, Van Morrison oh big time yeah, yeah me too he's from our neck of the woods so. oh yeah of course yeah. Van um, so we, we dad would always try to force Van Morrison and Steely Dan on to yep. me uh, and that's I think mm-hmm. in the same ballpark of yeah. of the E Street band where it's sort of you know they're like elevated bar music um, mm-hmm. and I avoided all of it until very re- I, I got into Springsteen a bit earlier but I avoided Van Morrison and Steely Dan almost entirely until the last year and now I can't oh, stop really? listening to either of them <laughs> Excellent. And I'm like, t- I'll, I'll call my dad up and go, hey, have you heard um, Gaucho by Steely Dan? And he's like, yeah, obviously I've heard it. It's it's my music. <laughs> and I'm like, it's really interesting. You should really listen to it. You know, the- <laughs> there's a really great vocal sound on it. <laughs> you know, I'm turning into this asshole trying to school my dad on the music that he was schooling me on. <laughs> Um, but I can get, uh, I can see why you would avoid Springsteen. It's um, mm. on the surface quite oh. cheesy, you know, like Americana bar band yeah. stuff. 
Yeah. So I I think, and this actually applies to a couple of songs in your playlist. I think I, I've talked on this show before about how I used to judge music. And normally what I'm talking about is like pop music, like X Factor stuff, Mm -hmm. like anything that's poppy, automatically a no for me. Yep. um, Because it's not art and I was a little arsehole. Um, And then I think... I realized when I was listening to this that there's a couple other categories that, that my sort of judgment falls into. And one of those is, is artists like Bruce Springsteen where I've heard them. I've heard them plenty. I know it's good, but I don't connect with it necessarily and I don't listen to it that often. And therefore it falls into this part of my brain where I assume it's bad. Do you know what I mean? I hear. Yeah. I don't know if you have like if you have songs or even like movies like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's um, that's sort of where I landed on Bruce Springsteen and then actually I went to see him live in, there's a show in Dublin mm-hmm. and I ended up going with um, with my mum's friends so it was just me and what? like what? my, like some, yeah um, I, I don't know I don't know how it happened but basically like one of one of my one of them was trying to hook up with you I think that's, that's how it happened <laughs> Uh, one of my mum's cousins lives in or had a place in Dublin and he was playing there and somehow I got an extra ticket I don't I don't know how but it was one of those moments where I was just like oh, fuck it, I'll just go because I was going to loads of concerts then I thought I'll just I'll see how it is Why yeah not? and he's unbelievable like I, I I came away from that show and I, I had to I said to my dad like I get it like I still don't necessarily get the I don't listen to a lot of his studio sure um, his studio work and I don't listen to an awful lot of Bruce Springsteen but as a live performer, mm. he is up there with the best I've seen. Like, I, I I absolutely love that big band sound, especially when it's like a big show. Oh yeah. Um. So it was in a it was in a stadium in, um, in Dublin, which I think holds like ninety or thousand. Um. So the, the 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 massive sound of it was incredible, and then he's just a fantastic performer, and it was one of those moments where. I could feel my sort of cynicism drifting <laughs> away as I watched it because I was kind of because I was there with my mum's friends and it was like it was a bit awkward and a bit strange and then just the more I watched them the more I was like this guy fucking rules like I've got I've got nothing but I've got no notes I've got yeah, nothing no bad notes. to say about him <laughs> which is such a like such a bullshit thought to have about Bruce Springsteen like like I'm gonna go there like 19 years of age and go Bruce have you thought about yeah. um you know, maybe stripping that, it back but, uh, a little bit what if it's like yeah <laughs> how about the d straight bruce, you, you in, <laughs> bruce you were in the crowd a little bit often there and uh it's good to start but it got a little much he's uh um, i felt a similar experience for me was with simon and garfunkel who i oh, okay. had heard a lot of growing up you know my mom was a big simon and garfunkel fan and yeah appreciated them but but would never seek out listening to their music you know i would always go oh yeah yeah sound of silence cecilia sure this is just my mum's mm-hmm. music and some of it's pleasant and then yeah. they they reformed very briefly for a tour maybe 10 years ago maybe um mm-hmm. and i went with my mum to see them in a in an arena in sydney and by the end of that three-hour show, I was a, a convert for life because right. 
you know, I started being like, God, I'm the youngest person here. Who are these old fucks on stage? And, and I also know the history that they hate each other now. And this is just feels like a cash grab. And maybe it was, but they, um, their voices together and the counter harmonies, they open with the song Old Friends, which is a, a heartstring tugger. And, um, yeah, by the end of it, I just decided I'll listen to every single album of theirs and probably all their solo stuff too. I think I tapped yeah. out on some of Art's solo stuff, but, but <laughs> I got, you know, it gets a little weird. Yeah, you go at a certain point, you realize, <laughs> oh, okay, Paul Simon's the solo artist. Art is, <laughs> art is, art is just Garfunkel, you know, that's it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I, I feel the same way and it kind of, it made me, it took seeing them live for me to get it and to sort of mm. catch up to the cultural moment that is Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we'll, we'll jump into your into your playlist then. Mm. So song one is a song that you fell in love with straight away mm-hmm. and you've gone with Last Night by The Strokes. Yeah, a bit of an obvious one maybe, um, especially for my age. But um, this was, what, 2001? So I'm pretty new to high school and I'm starting to define myself by my tastes a little bit around that age, 13, yeah. you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't know who the Strokes were, but I used to... I was obsessed with CD shops and music shops. I would go to record stores and just browse for a long time and look at the covers and pick up the albums of bands that I kind of recognized and read and stuff. And I remember Mm -hmm. just kind of walking around this record store near my house and some guy who worked there clearly was sick of me browsing and not buying anything. And so he came over and said, Hey, do you want to um, hear something new? And I said, yeah, what is it? And he said, there's this band called The Strokes. I think you'll really like it. And he clearly just wanted mm-hmm. to get me out of the store and to get me to make a purchase. But I was right. suckered in by this older, cool guy. And so I bought The Strokes album, Is This It? And uh-huh. immediately just, I had imbued this sense of magic before I even put it on, you know, because this older, cool dude said, you'll love it. And I put it on right. and I just did, like immediately... I decided this mm-hmm. was my favorite band, and l- yeah. last night was the song of the record, probably the probably the biggest single and the one that still defines the Strokes. And yeah. um, it's a fucking blast. It still is to this day. It's like it's almost a perfect pop song. Mm. Did you ever get into the Strokes? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I I don't know if they were they were never like the top of the list for me. But yeah, I would have listened to this and there are a couple of other Stroke songs. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm sure there were a couple with some some really good bass lines. Because um, I, I used to I used to play in a band when I was in school. Yeah. And there there were a couple of songs by the Strokes that we, we had a wee look at. And yeah, e- easy ones to sing as well because yeah, exactly. Julian doesn't really put an awful lot of energy in there. No. So you can, <laughs> still, uh, you can, you can sit down and sing. It's a very <laughs> fun karaoke song anyone can do it yeah Mm -hmm. you don't need a high register you can just kind of mumble your way through last night and everyone knows the hook so it's always going to go off at a karaoke bar 
It's true. Um, yeah, I, I really loved this album so much. I was also in a band in high school, and we, we you know, played in the Battle of the Bands this year, the year this came out, 2001, and the songs mm-hmm. that we played were New York City Cops from this album, which okay. is, uh, I don't think it's even on the album anymore. I think they took it off the album after 9-11, because... Um, oh, it was critical of the New York City Police Department, and then they felt bad, oh. so they they changed it. But it was it was probably a, get away with putting it back on there. Now. Yeah, I think now's probably the time the to re-release changed. it. <laughs> if the, the Strokes are listening, you can re-release New York City Cops if you want. Um, this yeah. song and uh, Kings of Leon song, can't even mm. remember which one. Molly's Chambers, maybe um, whichever mm. one was around that time. And yeah, so that right. that was kind of the vibe of what my me and my high school band in at that age thirteen were really trying to do, which was underplayed American pop rock, essentially. Right. Yeah. Kings of Leon were a, a big one for me. I think more so than the Strokes, but yeah, they were huge in the in uh, in Europe. I didn't realize that yeah. they were way bigger in Europe than they were in America. It took them a long time to kind of break mm-hmm. through in their own country. Yeah, yeah. I think they're getting there now, but I think they had to release a couple of very mainstream songs to get there. Yeah, I fall, but, I fall uh, off with um, Kings of Leon maybe at the third album, I think. But the first first three, and same with The Strokes. Like the first three albums, great. And then mm-hmm. I'm, and then I put a wall up. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, I, haven't listened to, I haven't listened to Kings of Leon in a long time. I'm going to get back into that now. <laughs> uh, song two, a song that took you a while is uh, you've gone with more than a woman by the Bee Gees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before I start, what's um, what's your relationship with the Bee Gees? I love the Bee Gees. Yeah, good, 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 good. <laughs> See, because it's uh, anytime I mention the Bee Gees, I get faced with that uh, instant, like it's almost a look of disgust on people's face. They, I don't. Okay. I don't think they get the Bee Gees. People think of the Bee Gees as the white suits with the flares and the like. Um, John Travolta dancing to their songs and shit. But there's so much yeah, more sure. going on with the Bee Gees. Um, yeah. And again, I'm one of those people. I put up a wall and thought they were embarrassing and cringy and cheesy and naff. And then. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, like in the last three years or so, complete convert. Well, I've listened to all their stuff. I think they're some of the greatest pop songwriters to ever live. I think I watched Saturday Night Fever for the first time, maybe three or four years ago, and was mm-hmm. gobsmacked by how good the movie is. It's it's a work of art. And, and the, the soundtrack is like sensational. Like it's wall-to-wall hits yeah and from there you branch out to their other stuff so disco is something that they invented in many ways like they they were just a pop group a pop almost folk group like before mm-hmm. that record they sort of did um you know like ballads and torch songs and sort of like beautiful beautiful like songs about love and loss and innocence and all this shit and then yeah. they started falling off and no one was really that interested in them anymore. And they took this gig doing the soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever 
and used it as an excuse to experiment making more upbeat poppy songs and right. and like kind of defined an era in the process. Yeah. I think without this soundtrack, um, dance music might never have gone as mainstream or as big as it did. Mm. And that's crazy because that's white guys who are like doing their version of African-American music that white guys from Australia, by the way, who um, Mm. helped usher dance music into the mainstream. So that says a lot about the industry. But I also think like we need to praise them for that. Like that they, they loved all this. They loved Sly and the Family Stone and they loved Motown and they helped kind of bring that sound into the mainstream a little bit. And yeah, it's right. it's a great. They're a great band. More than a woman is a track from that Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, and it's uh, fucking beautiful. I love it. It's got everything. It's got the disco beat, but it's got this incredibly soulful lyric and the harmonies of the three brothers. It's just a. a I love it. I listen to it all the time. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, so was that the moment then was was watching Saturday Night Fever the the thing that sort of tipped you back into listen to the Bee Gees or definitely the same sort of time oh definitely yeah. yeah it was um hearing watching that film and realizing that it was an actual movie in my head it was just going to be a kind of shitty you know like Grease or something like it was just going to be sure. a little pop poppy semi musical but it's a harrowing drama. It's uh-huh. like it's like Rocky, but in with dancing instead of boxing. Um, yeah, and I was I was totally floored by it, and it kind of recontextualized the music for me. I'd always thought of you know um, staying alive and that kind of stuff as a bit sort of cheesy dance floor filler music that your mum or auntie would pop on at a wedding. Um, and it, mm-hmm. but it recontextualized it to me as like, oh, this this is the soundtrack to a very good drama, <laughs> so th- <laughs> so therefore this must be right. art. It elevated it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and then since Fair. then, I love I love everything they've ever done. I've got all their older stuff before they went before they invented disco, and I've got a lot of their later stuff. I I got so heavily into Barry Gibb as a songwriter and producer that I've got albums that he just produced and wrote on and isn't on like the, i've got a diana ross one somewhere um chain reaction which is a hell of an album every yeah. every song written and produced by the gibb brothers they sing backing vocals on a lot of it uh, the only song that isn't written by the gibbs is written by michael jackson it's wow, it's a okay. fucking great album <laughs> It's so good. Wow. That's some credentials. If you're into pop, um, if you're into pop, that's where I'd go. Excellent. I yeah, so I like Bee Gees for me were like my mum's music. Mm. And they uh, she was really into ABBA as well, but it was this was kind of like the the treat. She preferred ABBA Gold and she would just oh, yeah. play ABBA Gold in the car like the vast majority of the time which some songs I really liked mm. a lot of it I, I wasn't that into but if we got the Bee Gees on in the car that was that yeah. was a good day I hear yeah, she wasn't as into it we were more into it it was a nice little happy medium it's the boys it's boys singing yeah <laughs> well I felt the same way because my mum also loves ABBA 
And uh-huh. so as a result, I've avoided ABBA most of my life. And then as the trend of this podcast is turning out to be in the last year or two, have discovered them and realized how great they are and yeah. how amazing the songs are and the how bizarre they are. The chords are fucking crazy and there's all these weird changes in them. And yeah, it's really, mm-hmm. it's really clever shit. Like the, the Swedes know how to write a fucking pop song. But my, our treat in the car was Beach Boys because it was always Abba Gold. Oh, nice. And then every right. now and then it was Beach Boys, a, a greatest hits, Beach Boys. So that was our little treat too. Lovely. Yeah. Excellent. Finally, a song about cars and girls and waves <laughs> as opposed to this At last. Swedish pop ballad about Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they've got some really weird songs on there. <laughs> yeah, they're fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. As, um, uh, so, a couple of people in previous episodes have chosen ABBA covers as their, like, a cover song. Oh, yeah. I'm almost knowing me, knowing you. Mm-hmm. I was reading the lyrics to it, and I was like, this is depressing. Yeah, yeah. Why are they so, why are they so upbeat singing this song? Wasn't, is that the one like, about them cheating on each other or something? Uh, it's basically about two people who've realized that they're not right for each other yeah like, yeah knowing me knowing you it's the best we can do and it's oh. like them like mutually deciding that they're they're not going to be together isn't that amazing Be- but people will get up and dance to that at a wedding <laughs> and everyone will just go aha yeah instead of like you know what they should be doing is just quietly contemplating instead of aha uh-huh, you know, they should be saying oh no <laughs> exactly exactly that's, that's exactly it. yeah i hear i read this great article if your your fans will um be into this if they're music nerds i read this great feature i'll send it to you um on max martin who's the swedish pop guru who's written and produced i think 30 number one hits over the last 20 odd years um all for other people britney spears Katy perry taylor swift the weekend you know like everything um he doesn't really give interviews much but in this feature, he talks a lot about ABBA and mm-hmm. KISS as his, like, go-to, like, as his music school. And he... Okay. Uh, also, Backstreet Boys. He wrote all the Backstreet Boys hits. Um, okay. But he he's, loves ABBA for their musicality, and he loves KISS for the simplicity of their lyrics and message of all their songs. And okay. one thing that he says is because, like, English is second language to the Swedes... They don't really care too much about poetry or wordplay or whatever. So they're just okay. writing to the beat all the time and just picking the coolest sounding words. And that's why okay, yeah. all those songs are hits. Yeah. Because they're just... I love that. There's They're just cool sounding yeah, words. Just, yeah, I love that. Um, I was talking about this with... Um, was it Emma, I think? Who, Emma who Holland. She picked, uh, yeah. Mm. Um, friend of the show, Emma Holland. Love saying that. She um <laughs> she had picked um Atomic by Blondie mm. as one of her songs. And I looked into it and like that's literally a case of like that song's about nothing. They picked the <laughs> word atomic because it was cool and futuristic. Mm. And then they based the song around that and the whole like your hair is beautiful tonight is all ad lib. That was just like nonsense <laughs> that they made up in the studio. <laughs> and I, I know you've been posting some of your like um teenage lyrics on Instagram and stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. and I've I've written I've written music as well and sometimes like when you're focusing on lyrics it's like I want this to sound good but not too earnest and not too like I don't want it to be cringy. Yeah. And then you have bands like like Blondie or like 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 you were saying where they're just like 
let's just pick a word and and go with it yeah and it just works you're like yeah. what's the point <laughs> i know. just like go through a dictionary i know i was because the, highlight the first time i read this max martin thing i was getting pissed off because he just kept calling it math instead of art he kept being like you know pop songwriting is just math at the end of the day and i was going right. fuck you it's art dude <laughs> but then by the end of the article i was i was totally won around to you know what it is yeah. there is an element of math to it as well it yeah. is just picking syllables and picking a melody that kind of fits in with the beat and yeah. and these swede you know pop geniuses have just taken that to the nth degree so much so that if you listen to backstreet boys songs they don't make sense None of the lyrics make sense, but they sound great. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> is it Backstreet Boys? It is Backstreet Boys, the, um, where one of them just asks the rest of his mates, am I sexual? Yeah, they all yeah. Go, yeah. They say, yeah. What? Yeah. What? Uh, what does that Fair even enough. mean? Am I sexual? Uh, I don't know. Does it yeah. mean, am I sexy? Or does it mean, am I sexually active? Or... Either way, the, the answer, answer is yes. yes. <laughs> the answer is a resounding yes. All of them chimed in and straight away. Yeah, th- that's support. And they say that there's yeah. toxic masculinity in the industry, you know. Exactly. This is Exactly. <laughs> I-, I guarantee none of them knew what he meant. So just, it was just like, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, whatever. Sure. We're in the middle of a song, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you do this in your own time? Yeah. <laughs> um, Right, song three is a song from your introduction to music. So yours is Steely Dan, as we talked about. So Hey 19. Yeah, talked about that a little bit before. So again, just dad constantly trying to get me into Steely Dan when I was younger. And I remember remember him putting on, I think, the album Asia and putting headphones over my head and saying, listen to this album and then just leaving the room. Mm-hmm. And I just had to sit there oh, wow. and listen to Asia with okay. headphones on. It was like some kind of bizarre like torture that they would do, that the Taliban would use on people or something, just to <laughs> force a 13-year-old boy to listen to soft jazz pop fusion. <laughs> And I was kind of, yeah. I was into Limbiscuit or something at that time, and I was kind of going, "This is, uh, this is unbearable. Why is he making me listen to this?" <laughs> right. But now I love it, of course. And I think Hey Nineteen is a very fun song. If you're if you're putting up walls to Steely Dan and you're not ready to let them into your life, um, yeah, you know, this song might be the one to break down the walls. It's very fun. It's very catchy. The mm-hmm. it's smooth and cool as hell. And the lyrics are funny. It's like a... That's the thing that got me over the line with this band is realizing that they are funny songs. They mm. sound like... They sound like, like a 50-year-old guy smoking a joint and putting on jazz albums for you, but they are witty and sarcastic. And this song in particular mm. is about an old pretentious jazz guy who is dating a young girl and trying to get her into his music and she doesn't care. And she's right. she thinks he's lame and he's having a midlife crisis of realizing what what the fuck am I doing? Why am I why haven't I found love? Why haven't I settled down with someone my own age? Why am I still chasing yeah. young girls around? It's a very funny song. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have a song like that that's on the right side of the line as well like you have the like the Beatles and 
<laughs> I saw her standing there. It was like she was just seventeen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I I don't want to know. I what don't you know mean, what you mean. Beatles, don't but, know what you mean, Paul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's yeah. There's a few songs like that. I think the Beach Boys have a similar one, but it's um yeah. It's nice to have one that's on the right side of the line. They're aware. I think it like. I think it, it's on the line. I don't know if it's totally like maybe if it was called Hey Twenty. You know, I'd be like mm. a bit more. Oh, okay, these guys are on the right side of history, but it's still got yeah. teen at the end of it. But I, I do think that great. they're <laughs> they're um, making fun of this type of guy. It's not like a glorification of dating young girl, being a rock star and dating young girls. They're right. making fun of people who think that's cool. Yeah, and that's probably yeah. how I justify it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not read into it too much deeper. Yeah. We're moving on. And with the Beatles, um, I reckon they were 18 when they wrote that song, so it's totally fine. Yeah, well, like the, the Beach Boys have the, have the same one where it's like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we were older, then we wouldn't have to wait so long? Mm. Which, like, if they wrote it when they were like 16, 17 to someone who's their, their similar age, then fine. But when they're 50 year old men singing that song, mm. like. That has different connotations now. Yeah, yeah, that's Not true. Happy about it. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll bring the tone back up. Uh, <laughs> song four is a song that makes you happy. So you've gone with Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Marvin Gaye mm-hmm. and Tammy Terrell. Yeah. This is, um, everyone knows this song. Everyone on the planet knows this song. And it's gorgeous, man. I don't know. There's just something about it. Every time it starts, I'm happy. And when it mm. kicks up into like that, sort of gear change towards the last 40 seconds of the song I'm like ecstatic there's some magic in this record it's obviously a very well written song but what they captured, the energy they captured is unbelievable I'll I'll never be sad when this song is on it's fucking beautiful no it really is my my memory with this song is that I used to work in 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 a a call centre and we did uh, market research Mm. And we would basically, we were trying to call like really high up people in the company, which meant that we, we didn't get a lot of success, mm. which means that we spent a lot of time on hold. <laughs> I remember that um, DPD, uh, the delivery company, mm. their head offices had this song as their hold music. Oh, yeah. And it was the only time that I felt any kind of joy in the day <laughs> was when I when I saw the name come up in DPD and I was like, oh, thank God. They're going to put me on hold for a couple of minutes and I get to listen to this song. <laughs> oh, God. It's just a beautiful song. This, I mean, yeah. so much Marvin Gaye is. But Tammy Terrell, yeah. I don't know too much about. And from what I understand, it was a pretty short career. Um, the Motown thing is pretty fucking crazy. Like... It was a a machine that pushed people mm-hmm. in and out. And I think she had a very short career and died quite young. She died at 24. And that adds oh, wow. something to the song to me, knowing that. It adds, like... Because it's such an exultantly joyful song, th- yeah. that mel- it adds a real layer of melancholy to me, knowing that she was feeling and expressing these highs... And there was tragedy coming, you know. I just, I get a lot out of it. I get a lot out of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful song. Song five, a song that makes you sad, is Someone You Loved by Peter Capaldi. <laughs> Lewis Capaldi, not Peter Capaldi. Jesus Christ. Peter Capaldi is Doctor Who. 
god. <laughs> I'd love it if Peter Capaldi did a cover. Peter Capaldi was in a music video with Lewis Capaldi. Really? Are they re- yeah, are they related? I, they must be related. No. There's no relation. So. I don't think so, but I think that's basically I know in the UK anyway, that's where I first heard of Lewis Capaldi was that he had a music video with Peter Capaldi. Right. Um Look I can't remember the song and I can't remember much about the video, but I know that he was like Peter Capaldi was like had his uh earphones in, and he was listening to this song. <laughs> and it's quite melancholy. It might be this song, but I can't remember. I uh, I have a confession to make, which is that I really struggled with number five here. Sad song. I I think part of my brain, maybe it's the comedy part of my brain, has almost blocked out this ability to be as sincere as I can, especially when it comes to sadness. And mm-hmm. I just, when I was looking at the list, I was just like, I could not think of a sad song or a song that made me okay. feel emotional. And as I was listening to the list in the cafe that I was at, this song came on and I've heard this song a million times on the radio and it is a very sad song, but I just uh-huh. put this one in here to fill number five. But also, okay. I do think it is a sad song. It's a sad... And I quite like Lewis Capaldi's voice. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to meet him it one is, day. It is a sad song. He's, it, um, it fits the brief. Yeah, it fits the brief. But I was t- justifying <laughs> it to my... I was showing this playlist to my wife earlier... And yeah. um, we started talking very intensely about Lewis Capaldi because she was like, she was like, why'd you put that one there? Do you even listen to him? And I was like, no, but I will say every time I hear that song, it does something yeah. to me. There's some real, right. he has an incredible voice and it sounds like he's screaming at parts and um, I'm very impressed by his voice <laughs> and by that yeah. song. So even though it's not, a regular song I listen to, it does affect me. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Love Lois Capaldi. He's such a funny bloke as well. Yeah, he's hilarious. <laughs> so good. He's mates with um Daniel Sloss, a Scottish comedian that I'm buddies with. So I think that mm-hmm. there's a chance in the future that I could meet Lewis Capaldi. And I'll tell him I'm the Dude. biggest fan. I'll go I'll <laughs> tell him I just I have all the albums and I love him. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, song six, then a song to relax to is "Midnight Train to Georgia" by Gladys Knight and the Pips. Man, I've got a lot of pop on here, don't I? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm I guess it's that. dawning on me that I'm a pop guy. This is a great song. I just love yeah. it. I love every second of this song, and it's a similar to "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." I can't be sad when this is on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great sketch that I'm obsessed with from the Richard Pryor sketch show, which was a short-lived sketch show in the 70s that Robin Williams was a cast member on, actually. And the sketch is that Richard Pryor is talking to the camera and the studio audience, and he says, we've got a musical guest tonight. Uh, We really wanted to get Gladys Knight and the Pips, but unfortunately our budget wasn't big enough. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Pips. And <laughs> Gladys Knight's backing band come out without Gladys Knight, and they do Midnight Train to Georgia without her. And so it's just <laughs> these three guys in suits dancing to the backing track, and then every now and then oh. doing the backing vocals. 
<laughs> oh, I love that. It's really That's good. So good. It's really funny because the backing vocals are kind of funny and goofy in this song too. Like it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a bit of yeah, a bit of sass in there. A lot of it? like cheese. They do. I know you will. Yeah, I know you will. And then they do uh-uh. this. Um, they do a train sound at one point in the backing yes. vocals where it's like, "I'm leaving." Woo woo. So yeah. the song. Just picture the song without Gladys. And just the three guys oh, doing the backing vocals and doing a choreographed dance routine. Great sketch. Oh, that's so good. Because <laughs> the funny thing about that is, like, I was going to say, like, what I'm picturing when I'm listening to the song is the backing vocalist. Yeah. Because yeah. you can you can just see the dance that they're doing, like, just, you know, one step, two step, mm-hmm. shuffling from one foot to the other, little clicks in there. Oh, you know, yeah. And, yeah, just giving a little bit of sass every now and again. So I'm, I'm glad that they got their dues and their... Uh, their moment in the spotlight yeah me too it's a it's a great great sketch great song and i actually think it would be a bit of a dream to be a uh backing singer for a soul for a soul singer just to be absolutely someone in the band who's you don't you're not the main guy you're just kind of chilling at the back you wear a suit and you dance a little bit do some choreography and uh, get to join in on some harmonies I saw. I was watching um, the Last Waltz, the Scorsese documentary about the band recently, and um, mm-hmm. there's a few, you know, money shots of backing singers. Same with the Talking Heads one. Stop making sense. Every now and then, mm-hmm. the camera will focus on the backing singers, and they just look like they're having the best time. Yeah, that would be great. It would be the so best best job in show business. Would just be. <laughs> Put on a nice suit, go out, be a pip, and then just party afterwards. There's no pressure on you. You can just have a great time. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to have that many people bothering you as well. Yeah, exactly. No one's chasing the pips down. (laughs) The pips weren't on the Masked Singer last year. It was Gladys Knight. (laughs) Uh, How disappointing would it be if, like, hedgehog took off his head and it's like it's one of the pips you'd be like oh i don't yeah oh. i don't know <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> just all the judges going oh, oh yeah oh, is it a pip are you a yeah. pip <laughs> i think the pips were related to gladys knight or at least one of them was so that you know oh yeah yeah they were brother or cousin or something like that there was some it must kind of that must suck a little bit that your sister gets her full name in the title and you just you yeah. and your cousins are Maybe just the pip. pips. Yeah. Yeah. I'm dreading this next one, man. Um, I've just looked at my <laughs> li- I've just looked at my list. I can't believe what I put down. But also I'll go to I'll go to bat for this song. Alrighty. So it's a song from your preteen years and it's You Get What You Give by the New Radicals. Alright, let's talk about the New Radicals. So were were the New Radicals um big or was that song big in your part of the world? I I I I I don't think I ever didn't know this song. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm I'm intimately familiar with this song. As soon as I started listening I didn't recognise the title when you sent of it to me. Of course not. But as soon as I put it on I was like, Oh, it's that song, <laughs> right? I don't know why I know it, it's, but I Yeah. I know it so well. It's a it is, I think, one of those it's a one hit wonder for a start. Mm-hmm. Um but I think the second it came out, it became a classic, and it will right. it will be used in commercials and mm. uplifting moments in film and TV for the rest of time. 
It's yeah. just one of those songs that immediately fell into the category of pop classic right out of the gate and the world said, we don't want to hear anything else that this band puts out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like every now and then that happens where a, a band pops yeah. onto the scene and the world decides that's enough. That is the exact yeah. amount that we need of you. <laughs> and, uh, New Radicals is a great example of that. So... Yeah, it was 1998. They, this song came out it was huge. Um, I don't even necessarily think I loved it at the time. It, it, I just knew it. You know, I was in primary school yeah. and it was a big pop hit. And I remember this the film clip. He had the fucking bucket hat on, and he yeah. was running around a mall somewhere in Middle America and inspiring teenagers to rebel against the mall. So all these teenagers right. started trashing the place and dancing around and they lock a security guard in a um a glass elevator and yeah, it's like a okay. riot like it it's like a fun version of a riot um which is crazy because this song is not edgy or dangerous in any way it's it's almost no. a hall and oats song like it's it's just like yeah. a piano led jam you know um about yeah. About not giving up on yourself. Yeah. Don't give up. You've well, got the, the music in you. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you got a little bit of edge at the end. Mm. Like those closing lyrics. Which, um, yeah. for anyone who doesn't know, he starts talking about... It's almost so a rap. He almost raps at the end. Yeah. So he's like health insurance, rip off lying, blah, blah, blah. And then fashion shoots with Beck and Hanson, Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson you're all fakes run to your mansions come around we'll kick your ass in yeah so there's a bit of a bit of edge to the palette there but i I was reading up on this and he wrote that portion because he wanted to see what the media would focus on yeah him rhyming off a lot of stuff that was happening that was bad or him saying he wanted to kick marilyn manson's ass and it was like a little thing he was like a trick he pulled on the media and he was like ah yeah, well, you did pick the celebrity listen one. And I was reading that and I was going, well, yeah, you said you wanted to kick Marilyn Manson's yeah, ass. What do you Who doesn't want to see that? That's a, that's going to sell what? more newspapers than uh, you yeah. talking about health insurance and the FDA or whatever. I'm not even saying anything about health insurance, just mentioning health insurance. Yeah. That's not an article. You're like, oh, this new radical song, they talked, they said health insurance in it. Did they say it was bad? All right. Um, no, but he did say he wants to kick <laughs> Marilyn Manson's ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so, Marilyn Manson was not happy. I've read that too, and um, and I think I read a little more about this songwriter, Greg Alexander, and I think this is why I've included the song on the list. It's a bit of a retrospective, you know, made me rethink the song, which is that he had been trying for about 10 years to be a musician at this point. Um, as a solo okay. artist, he, he released two albums under his own name, and they kind of disappeared he he was signed by a major label but it was one of those instances in the 90s where majors were signing up every motherfucker and not really mm. doing anything with them they just had them so you'd put an album out it would sink or disappear or get shelved and it didn't cost the major labels anything in the long term they just wanted right. to own you so that no one else did so he was kind of trapped and he wanted to he wanted to quit and he was he was going to quit and move back home to Ohio, wherever he's from. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this song 
as a bit of inspiration to himself to not give up. So the whole song is like, don't give up, Greg. Oh. You've got the music in you. You can do this. Like, you know, believe in yourself. You're going to make it. And and the song is so triumphant in that way. Like when you're when the chorus hits, you're you're like ecstatic. You're like, wow, I do mm. have the music in me. You know, I could be a pop star. So he put he puts it out. It's a huge hit, like beyond mm-hmm. his expectations. He goes on a world tour with this new band, the New Radicals, and six months later, he quits the music industry anyway because he hates it. And I love oh, that. Wow. I love that he wrote this song to inspire himself to achieve greatness. He did. Yeah. And then when he achieved greatness, he realized it wasn't for him. And he right. and he just privately went back to his own life. So this they broke up in the middle of the world tour of um like promoting oh, like- this album before the second single had even come out. And he oh, wow. and he just went back home and just did what he does which is write songs and now he's just a professional songwriter he just realized that being a pop star wasn't the thing he wanted it was the act of making music was what he wanted um so now he's just a professional songwriter he's out of the spotlight he doesn't do any public shit um he was nominated for an oscar a few years ago for a song that he wrote for a film and most recently he reformed the new radicals to play this song for joe biden's inauguration that's the only time he's performed live in like 30 years or something uh but for the most part i'm i'm happy with his story and with the story of this song it it kind of makes me feel some level of comfort that you know you can you can believe in yourself and try really hard but at the end of the day all that matters is that you're just happy doing the thing that you love you don't need the adulation of random people in australia or whatever yeah i love that it does it for me so song eight then is a cover Mm -hmm. so you've gone with inside and out by feist so you've stuck another bg song in here yeah yeah i don't know why but i do i do really like her cover of this song it's i heard this before i heard the original and mm-hmm. this is kind of almost the definitive version for me as a result of that. And right. I don't know how familiar you are you are with Feist. Are you familiar with her work? Not overly, no. Right, yeah. She's Canadian artist. Um, she's had some big pop hits, but she's kind of like a indie indie artist too. Kind of associated with Broken Social Scene, who were a big influence on Arcade Fire. And she's bizarre. She's a unique pop songwriter and and performer who's who like leans into eccentricity in a way that can I would sometimes find annoying, but for the most part I love. And this cover mm-hmm. of a song, I, I was like shocked that she even did it at the time because she was known for like these original um, bizarre, eccentric little soulful folky songs. And then for her mm-hmm. to cover the Bee Gees, I kind of thought, oh, this must be ironic, you know, like she's making a joke. Her tongue is in cheek here. But it's a, be- <laughs> it's a beautiful cover because it's a beautiful song. Yeah. And uh-huh. there's something very sexy about her cover of it that just really, like when I hear it, I'm, I'm, I want to be with Feist. <laughs> 
be I want to I want to be married with Feist. I want to I want to lay down in the marital bed with Feist. It's a very very sexy cover. Okay. I've got I've got nothing to add to um want to lay in the marital bed with Feist. So yeah. we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> song name. Because in my fantasies I have to be married to the people that I'm fucking. <laughs> That's the only. That's good. That's very respectful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. raised Catholic, so I have to, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just tickled by the idea that in those fantasies, your wife has to never exist because you can't have been married and oh, then divorced. Dude, I've been there. I've been there so many times. It's really distressing <laughs> that most of my sexual fantasies begin with me being widowed. <laughs> And I have to go through the grieving process and and then eventually find myself in a situation where I'm with Feist. <laughs> and I'm ready to move on and I propose and then we make love. And then <laughs> that's, so that's my fantasy. And then inside my place. Yeah, then inside our place. And then we go and visit my wife's grave together. It's all very uh-huh. psychosexual. It's, it's Good. cool. Yeah. Yep. It's very respectful. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Song nine is a song that you would sing at karaoke. Mm-hmm. So yours is Mr. Brightside by the Killers. Yeah, I just think it's a it's a pretty classic uh, go to, especially for our generation. Like people will sing along to this. Whenever I do, I don't yeah. do karaoke very often, but um, when I have done it, I am mercenary in my tactics. I think I I'm looking at the crowd. I'm analyzing their mood what they're responding to and i think <laughs> that i want to kill hard i want to crush harder than anyone else is jumping up there so my go-to's yeah. are you you want to do a fun semi-nostalgic pop song like this where people can sing along and they don't need to sing it's like chanting it's just like jealousy turning saints yeah. into the sea it's like a drinking song um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I would want to do a like a like an oasis, um, like "Don't Look Back in Anger" or something like that. Something that's a okay. bit of a slower ballad, but people can still belt along to the chorus. Yeah, sure. I'm not up there doing the things that I want to do. I'm up there doing what I what they want. You know, I'm a performer, yeah. and I'm giving them, yeah. I'm giving them an experience. Give the people what they want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> this is a song. This is, so when I was talking about the, the sort of judgment that I held for songs, this is the other sort of category that they fall into, which is songs that I used to be really into, but it's not. I don't think it's cool to like Mr. Brightside. No, it's not. It's it's a song that like, and the other one you mentioned actually is the other one, which uh, "Don't Look Back in Anger." Yeah, which are the two basically quintessential. There's a playlist, a very famous uh, playlist on Spotify called "White People Turnt." Oh yeah, and this is basically it's Mr. Brightside, it's uh, Sweet Caroline, it's Don't Look Back uh-huh. in Anger. Yeah, these are all and good, good karaoke songs. Yes, mm. but they're sort of like they're sort of looked down upon now, and I I felt myself doing that as well. So even when I got this list, I was like, Oh, Mr. Brightside, really? And it's been so long since I listened to it. And then when I was listening to it, I was like, Oh, this song fucking rules! I used to love this song, and I don't know why I stopped listening to it, but it is like. I think I think just because it, I got sick of it because yeah. I listened to it a lot and then it became very like just out there in terms of pop culture. It was it was everywhere. Yeah, it was and in everything. I, I'm with you. I yeah. I also like if I hear this song in the wild, 
I'm yeah. never I'm never up unhappy about it, but I also yeah. am not excited. I just I just ex- <laughs> yeah. I almost expect to hear Mr. Brightside once a week somewhere. Um, right. And cool, like I used to love it. Uh, n- I now think yeah. the only time I would ever put it on a Spotify playlist is for the purpose of this show where I had to pick mm-hmm. something I would do at karaoke. I still think it's right. a great karaoke track and that's why it will live on because yeah. everyone kind of wants to sing along to this chorus and we don't yeah. really know what it means. It's allegedly a no. song about cheating, but is it? Yeah. Like the lyrics don't really make sense. No, he, he tricks you into thinking he's going to say dick at one point. That's the... Oh, what's that bit? What does he the... say? Oh, um, uh, she's calling a cab. It's it goes and my stomach is sick, oh, but yeah. it's all in my head. And she's touching his chest. Oh right? my god! I never realized that was a little joke. Yeah, that sucks. Oh, Brandon, you little sneak! He, you little Christian f- sneaky bastard! You little Mormon! <laughs> it is it is shit. There was that it? sucks. That's that made me yeah. hate the song. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like that. <laughs> Good. We came full circle on that. That's yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Song 10, then a song that reminds you of a specific place. Mm. So you've gone with This Must Be The Place by Talking Heads. Right. So I now realize that this is a bit of an obvious song for people. I'm sure people have, uh-huh. uh, you've heard this a million times, but... Um, it has the word place in it. has the word place in it. It's um, yeah. a uh, it's an absurdist love song in many ways. Yeah. Um, it's the well, the closest that David Byrne ever came to writing a love song is the story. Um, mm-hmm. This song, I think five or six years ago, whenever I got married, this was the song that we walked into the place we got married. Too. Oh, lovely! Um, and it was an absurd, a crazy choice because it wasn't like a go-to wedding song at the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was just like a fun. Hey, look, we're walking into this fun '80s song, and it's like kind of a love song, but kind of not. And we're seeing everyone we love, and so I, when I hear the song, I picture walking into the wedding venue, seeing all my friends and family's faces, and. Um, holding my wife's hand and like walking towards the little bit that we got married in. Um, uh-huh. Since then, in the last six years, I think this has become a cliche wedding song. And okay. now I think it's almost got a reputation for being like a wedding song. And okay. I don't know if we were on the forefront of that or if we yeah. were just riding the wave that was naturally leading to where we are now. But I do think that yeah. now this song has become a bit overdone as a okay. as like a love song. Um, so, so you picked this song to put it out there to make sure people know that you're we the We got there first. Yeah, we got yeah. there okay, first. Cool. <laughs> well, to be fair, we'd ripped it off from... It was used pretty prominently in the movie Lars and the Real Girl, which is uh, okay. a Ryan Gosling movie. And there's a really sweet scene where he's dancing happily to this song. And we were like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's a beautiful song. And that's a cool... I've never seen it used in the context of romance. So let's let's do it. We ripped it off from that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, now I think it's... <laughs> I think everyone knows it's a love song. And so they're all using it. Yeah. 
you know. But anyway, it's a beautiful song, and it does remind me of um, one of the happiest days of my life. So, yeah. Lovely. That's a good choice. I like it. Um, do you know Do you know Wolf J? I do, yes. Uh, their episode's coming out in a couple of weeks, and we recorded it a while back. But um, they picked... Um, this song is a cover but it was a remix that was done by Kishibashi oh I don't know that Have cover that? no I'll send I'll send it to you it's um, it's strings mm. basically instead of whatever he's playing a theremin or something yeah but it's um, it's beautiful it's it's a it's a really nice version of it oh cool very different so yeah I'll look it I'll, is I'll a great song too. and maybe it's it's a bit overplayed at the moment but it is a great song and it's so simple and I think the story goes that Talking Heads were all playing each other's instruments for this song. So that's why it's so simple. They all rotated and took turns on each other's instruments. So they just played the simplest melody they could and a naive melody. Yeah. And that's why it repeats over and over again was because that's all they could do. (laughs) But (laughs) But the simplicity of it is why it's so beautiful. Yeah, that's a good track. Um, Alright, song 11 then is a song that reminds you of a specific person So you've gone with Lust for Life by Iggy Pop mm. Yeah, um, I just have a real memory of, I, I love Iggy I don't know what your thoughts are on Iggy Pop I love him I think. I- Iggy's basically what I was talking about earlier When I said that like, like, This is a song that I was familiar with And then sort of just filed away And didn't really think of it as like I didn't really think of it as anything that I really wanted to get back into. But yeah, loved it. It's such a good song. Produced by David Bowie. Um, He does backing vocals on it as well. It's a fucking banger. I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's takes me back to a certain time in my life. Uh, The person I think of is my friend Jay, who I don't really see that often anymore. But at this time in our early twenties, we were both, really discovering that kind of 70s uh, proto-punk sound, that sort of the era between Velvet Underground and the Sex Pistols. So there's like, you know, there's like a seven-year window there where punk rock wasn't anything yet, but people were starting to make the sounds that would inspire punk rock. And Iggy Mm -hmm. is like the guy. He's the godfather of punk. And he... You know, with the Stooges, he was kind of doing abrasive sounds. And then with his solo work, this album and The Idiot, both produced by David Bowie, with songs co-written by David Bowie on there, it's sort of like joyful punk is how I would describe Mm. it. It's like fun, it's loud, it's noisy, but every song is like happy and triumphant. The album cover for Lust for Life is Iggy Pop, the godfather of punk, just with, like, a huge smile on his face, a big close-up of his smile. It's, like, and a big right. bright yellow cover. It's the least punk rock thing that I could imagine. It's called Lust for Life. But it's yes. it sounds fucking badass, and the drums on it are insane, and the guitars are so sick. Um, yeah. And it, so Iggy, I was very into Iggy. I still am. He came out here twice in two years, once... Solo and once with the Stooges, newly reformed, mm-hmm. uh, with the full lineup, and and my friend Jay and I went to both shows. We went to the Solo show, which was okay, and then we went to the Stooges show, which was in a smaller venue, 
and it was it was similar to that Springsteen experience. One of the great live shows I've ever seen in my life. I would have been twenty three, maybe twenty four, mm. and I we were like the youngest people there, probably. And we went psycho. Like, we just decided at the right. start of the night, we're going to get fucked up and we're going to drink a lot and we're going to get right up to the front of the mosh pit and just go crazy. And we did. And we yeah. just, like, shed all our inhibitions and we're just, like, drunk, sloppy, sweaty people at the front of the mosh pit, like, pushing and punching and, like, Iggy was in our yeah. faces for the whole show. Like, just Iggy was down and, like, holding onto the barricade and, like, singing in our faces. And we were, like, s- singing back at him. Very cool experience. And probably the last Same. time I was ever in a mosh pit. That was about 10, yeah. years, 10 years ago. <laughs> and, uh, and I, yeah, I think I just got it all out of my system in that night. And that's what I think of yeah. when I hear this song. Excellent. It's it's a good band to like be in a mosh pit for. Yeah, totally. There's, there's some some concerts I've been to where like a mosh pit forms like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Like you're <laughs> you're lit, you're just doing this because like you're drunk. You have to. You feel right. you have to do yeah. it. I, yeah. I used to love being but in mosh pits when I was in my early twenties and late teens. I fucking I would kill to be in a mosh pit. It was such a release. Mm. But now, yeah. oh my god, imagine. I want to sit. <laughs> I want to be sitting down. Yeah, give me a sitting a sitting seat. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, that's the, all a sitting ticket. That's grand. I know where I'm sitting, and I can show to people who are standing up. That's yeah, that'll do me. Mm-hmm. The main the main thought I had listening to this song was like, Jet really got away with one, didn't they? Big time. Yeah. With are you going to be my girl? Like, yeah. You stick a throat clear on it, and you get it. Like, and no one recognizes it. Yeah. Was that Clark Kent's glasses? What do you? <laughs> I think um, I think people spotted it at the time. And, oh, did they? Yeah, and I remember a few years later, Iggy collaborated with Jet on a song. I think they okay. did a cover of something, um, almost as like an olive branch between the two artists. But yeah, I'd say, okay. you know, this song, this song, like the drum beat in it, it's not an original drum beat. It's like a Chuck Berry sort yeah. of like, it's an old bluesy style drum beat, but this made it fucking badass and cool and rock. And then Jet just yeah. ripped it and the bass line off. Yeah, <laughs> there was one very particular bass lick where I was like, you, you've gone too far yeah, there. Yeah, you, you could have got away with it if it wasn't for that ding, ding, ding. Yeah, I know. They no. they really lifted yeah. it. Um, but, you know, I've got no problem with, are like, you going to be my girl? <laughs> I'm t- I'm, no, it's a great I'm song. totally fine with that song. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. No notes. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> song 12, then a song that motivates you. So... Bruce is back then. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen and Thunder Road. Yeah, yeah. I brought Springsteen back um, here. Thunder Road, great track. I've seen him do it a couple of times now. And uh, once I saw him do it solo on an acoustic guitar. And never... The first time I'd ever really even paid attention to what the song is about. Because when you when you hear the track as it's recorded on Born to Run, mm-hmm. it's... um fucking oh it's an overdose of production everything's on here every fucking instrument under the sun is on this track like the horns are their own melody and you just get caught up in the momentum of it but hearing him strip it down to just an acoustic guitar made me realize that what it's about and it's about this idea of being a teenager in a small town and wanting to escape and go to the big city which is something i related to growing up as a teenager who grew up 
three hours outside of Sydney. All I wanted to do was to move to Sydney and be part of the big city. And I shed my hometown and I moved up the coast and went down the highway and moved to Sydney. And now I've lived in Sydney for 10 years and I miss my hometown so fucking much. And this song now makes me feel melancholy because I think... It's about being young and thinking that life is going to be better out there, but not knowing yeah. that it's not. It's You're still you wherever you go. And the, mm. the big city isn't going to change you, you know? It's like, if anything, it's going to amplify the worst parts of your personality. So, right. yeah. But it's a, it motivates me because it's a fucking motivational song. I can't not hear this song yeah. and feel pumped up. It's great. It's a great track. The, the energy in the song is insane like you think it it continues to lift and lift Mm. and then there's moments where you're like there's nowhere to go from here and then it's up again you're like holy shit yeah this is too much it's got uh the the whole ending melody thing where it's just the whole the saxophone clarence clement's saxophone playing Mm -hmm. the main hook is like triumphant (laughs) when i hear it i'm like i have to raise my hands up above my head (laughs) like yes we did it we got out we got out of the small town like whatever i've never even been in new jersey but i'm like i'm like get the fuck out of there you gotta go to new york city kids (laughs) (laughs) can't listen to the song in a starbucks in case the the arm just shoots yeah exactly This song is like the epitome for me of my dad when I said about my dad like trying a little bit too hard with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Because he would tell us this story and he would tell us on a regular basis that when he was when he was dating my mum, he at one point like it was like a really romantic gesture where I think he I think he did like the flowers and the dress thing. You know, yeah. and, you know, I'll you know, I'll pick you up. But he had wrote, written on it, um, show a little faith, there's magic in the night. Mm-hmm. And she thought that that was like so romantic and beautiful and then he was telling us this story and he was like but the next line is you ain't a beauty but hey you're all right <laughs> and he loved that joke but we, like i remember just i think we just we weren't primed to hear it because we were just like all right great you you slyly told my mom that she was ugly that's <laughs> that's great Dad, thanks thanks for that <laughs> well done what an asshole <laughs> I know my mom hates that story as well she's like yeah he did do that yeah kind of ruined that really romantic moment there. <laughs> but, uh... I love that line I think that line makes me laugh it's just a funny little detail it's a good a, yeah. a thing that Bruce is really good at is story songs you know like um, yeah, yeah. They, there's a story that runs through the whole song and for most most story songs in history bore the shit out of me I hate him i'm like Mm. fuck give me some poetry give me something different you know but bruce fills them with little details like that that keep me engaged and for the for one of the details early in this love love story to be that he doesn't (laughs) think the girl is very good looking (laughs) is so funny (laughs) you ain't a beauty but yeah you're all right okay we've got four minutes left on this love song (laughs) how's it gonna go interesting like you gonna take yourself out of that one yeah it's yeah good. also yeah like a weird vibe to bring when you're like yeah so like you know jump in the car yeah. and we'll head off yeah and the girl's just like just call me ugly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i did but ignore that we gotta Don't drive to yeah 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 
Thunder Road, yeah. baby. Um, yeah. It's also just a great title, Thunder Road. It's a cool title. Yeah. It is. I like it. Uh, song 13, then a song that someone introduced you to. Yeah. And you've gone with Changes by Charles Bradley. Yeah. That's a cover as well. Um, I could have put that under the cover uh, for number eight. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. Sabbath song, isn't it? Black Sabbath? Or maybe just oh, Ozzy Osbourne solo. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, it's a soul version of a metal song. And mm-hmm. it's Charles Bradley, my friend Becky Lucas, who I do a podcast with, uh, gave me this record. And Charles Bradley's story is that he was a veteran soul singer who never made it. Um and he, I think he started his career as a James Brown impersonator and oh. then just was a gigging, touring, working musician for decades and no one really gave a shit and, you know, there was no, the soul movement came and went, but he just was stuck, stuck around and was doing these shitty festivals and playing at lame venues and he had record labels and they didn't and... And then finally, not that long ago, maybe like five years ago or something, he uh, was discovered again and put this album out, Changes, um, which was a hit, you know, like a hit album. Every song on it is fucking beautiful. It's great. This song was used as the theme song for Big Mouth, the Netflix show. And then he died not that long ago. So he like got the, he got the success you know it's a really it's a really cool story but yeah this the album's great and this track is like the one from it that you'll remember when you listen yeah. to it it is an epic song fucking great song his voice is in, just... his voice is insane ridiculous yeah you... i i love i love artists like that where you can really hear the like the emotion mm. and almost like imperfections in how they perform it as well yeah it's not it's not overly produced it's like it's real and it feels raw and yeah that's i really really like that really appreciate that i think it's uh i think it's sabbath let me just it is it is sabbath yeah isn't that crazy like of all the yeah i never would have guessed in a million years that i'd be emotionally moved by a black sabbath song (laughs) yeah it's from volume four that's crazy yeah yeah unbelievable yeah it's a real a really great cover i think it's Mm. it shits all over the original (laughs) it's like i like sabbath i I got no problem with sabbath but yeah this just elevates it to a whole other level it's it's like when you hear um that cover of um get by with a little help from my friends by joe cocker and you just kind of go Mm. oh i'll i'll never listen to the beatles version of this (laughs) song again this is this is so much better yeah I'll if I if I'm ever speaking to Ozzy, I'll tell. Please let him know. Let me. him know. Yeah, oh, I have a question absolutely. for if you ever do speak to Ozzy. Um, for, I want to find out if the bat that he ate is the COVID uh-huh. bat. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he could be patient zero. You know, that could be quite an origin story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something to think about. Or, or it could be like he's just like he got a taste for it and then just kept yeah eating them, kept going, started sourcing uh-huh. them from Wuhan yeah mm-hmm. mm. possible uh, so yeah if I'm ever speaking to Ozzy those are the two main topics of conversation then that would be great thank you so much yeah no, not a problem 
Song 14, mm. a song you wouldn't expect to like. Mm. So you're going with Love Story by Taylor Swift. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so it's 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 probably a good thing for you that this episode won't air until the new year because, um, depending on what you say and, and the reasons for this, this is I think it's a very dangerous time to say anything that could even have the perception of being a slight against the great Taylor Swift, um, because mm. Red Taylor's version has just been released and 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 people are very emotional about it. Yeah. So the story, I don't really know the story there. She didn't have the rights to that album. That was her first uh, management team have it or something and. She she got she got massively fucked over by her uh her label. Sure. Essentially. So she is uh going through the process of re recording all those albums and releasing them under a different under her own label, I think it is. Mm-hmm. So essentially she has the ownership over what happens with those songs and the and the royalties that come with that. Yeah, yeah, right. Um that's so annoying when that shit happens. Love story, mm. um look, I don't know much about taylor swift i don't i know the hits i've heard the hits i've yeah. never owned an album of hers um i know that she works she works with that max martin guy now that i was talking about earlier i know that she was a country artist at first and this uh-huh. song love story is still sort of a country song it's country pop Yes. Um, so I guess this is before her transition to like full blown mega pop star, right? Yeah. Anytime I hear this song, I am one hundred percent in. I fucking love her voice on it. I love the country pop production. Um, I love how cheesy the lyrics are. It's fucking Romeo mm. and Juliet, but in high school. Um it just you know what it reminds me of? I was thinking about this the other day. It reminds me of there was that time in the 90s when country pop was in the Billboard charts and you could just... You'd hear like Shania Twain or um, right. any of those people just like every day you'd hear some country mm-hmm. pop. What's that song? The song that's at the end of... Um, at the end of Con Air. How do I live without you? Like there's always there was always a country pop song in the charts for like a four year period there in the nineties and love yeah. story reminds me of that. I, when I hear it, I feel like I'm a kid again, listening to the radio in mum and dad's car. Yeah, and uh, I don't know why I just fucking love it. I love the key change. I go psycho for mm. that key change. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, chills. Yeah, I get chills. I pump the air. I'm like. Yes, marry me, Julie. You'll never have to be alone. I love it. I go fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. But then I, the other songs don't really do anything for me. That's I've tried. No. I've gone in on a lot of the other ones, and I just can't, can't ever get there. But this one does. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Kind of. Song fifteen is a song you think everyone should listen to, and you've gone with "Good Day." by nappy roots yeah well i just wanted to end with something happy and uplifting and something that'll put a smile on your face and we've talked a lot about that a lot over the course of this podcast but i think if you put on the song good day by nappy roots you will smile that's a good way to end this podcast is to like give people the gift of happiness and this song is happiness distilled into three and a half minutes fucking blast 
It's got a children choir, like, singing shittily. (laughs) (laughs) It's got... I don't know. It's a song about having a good day. It's a very it's a very fun song and I I listen to it regularly when I'm in a bad mood and it always lifts me. Yeah. It's a nice vibe and it's a it's a very nice message that idea of um deciding for yourself whether you're going to have a good day or not because mm. you can you can have those days where good things will happen and bad things will happen and it often depends on your mood how you interpret whether it was a good day or a bad day. Yeah. And how how much the bad things knock you and how much you let the good things elevate you and having that mentality at the start of the day or having that mentality as you go through it of I am going to have a good day is yeah it's very nice it's very uplifting it's inspiring yeah I uh, I, I wanted to I've got a playlist that I listen to when I'm in a good mood of just or when I'm in a bad mood sorry of just uplifting hip hop and this Uh is on there this is this features pretty heavily on there. Um, there's another song called "Hey Ma" by Cameron, which is on there quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just there's something about like, yeah, just choosing to be happy when when it doesn't seem like that's the ca- that the obvious choice. And I I right. really I really do respond to that. I think there's a quote. Adam Sandler has from a sketch on SNL where he says being uh, being happy all day is impossible most of us only get 45 minutes if we're lucky and I think that's true like days for the most part it's a long time to try and be happy if you can get a good 45 to an hour of being happy in a day that's that's a good day that's a good day it's a win and that's a win and you gotta take it What's well, a lovely message to end on from Nappy Roots and Adam Sandler? Yeah, my two heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Can thanks very much. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug or promote while you're here? Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah. So if people want to hear more podcasts, I have mentioned, I've mentioned both of them on this show already. I've got one with Becky yep. Lucas called the Becky and Cam Hotline, where people call us up and we answer their problems. Um, in a comedic fashion and then uh, myself and Alexi Toliopoulos have our podcasts as well there's Finding Drago and Finding Desperado which you have already mentioned um, and yeah just follow me on Instagram there's, I put stuff up on there stand up and stuff like that it's uh, I am Cameron James on Instagram excellent and that's it and Total Reboot and Total Reboot of course I got another I'm a white guy so I have to have multiple podcasts. <laughs> Total Reboot is another podcast with Alexi. We talk about movies. So please Perfect. give it a go. That's great. All right, then. thanks very much. Thanks so much for having me. And that's it for episode 11 of Mixtape Identity. Thank you so much for listening. Please do go and check out Canberra if you can. Uh, he's an amazing stand-up comic. So if you're in Australia and you have the, the ability to go and see him live, then please go and do that. If you're not, then those podcasts are incredible, especially Finding Draco. Uh, I will bang on about Finding Draco to anyone who will listen. So if you haven't listened to it already, please go and check it out immediately. You will not be disappointed. If you like this show and you want to support it, then there's a few different ways you can do that. We do have a coffee link set up, which is in my link tree on instagram so if you want to throw us a couple of quid and support the show that way then that would be much appreciated 
but equally would appreciate if you can leave a review tell your friends and just keep the engagement going let me know what you've been listening to what you've enjoyed i really really appreciate all all the support so far i'll be back next week for episode 12 so in the meantime look after yourselves i must be today